In this episode, we're going to cover common tasks associated with looking after a single MySQL server. We will discuss installing and securing the server, useful debugging techniques, common SQL statements, user access and permissions, and finally, backup and restore options. This episode is longer than I normally make, but hopefully it can serve as a crash course on how to use and configure a fairly secure MySQL server. In this episode, I really wanted to highlight the why, rather than just the how. For example, why you should add user accounts to the database server rather than just telling you to, without explaining the reasoning behind it. As the wiki page mentions here, you can either pronounce it MySQL or MySQL, although I prefer MySQL. MySQL is an extremely popular open source database and is a cornerstone of the LAMP stack. For this reason, as a sysadmin, you're likely to find yourself looking after one. So I thought I would cover some of the useful info that I've used over the years. These will be the basic bits needed for hosting, say a Drupal site, a Rails app, or a PHP app. The following will be fairly introductory, but should be sufficient to get you going, as I do not think the average admin is going to be using replication or a very complex setup requiring lots of tuning. But if there is need, I'll cover these topics in later episodes. Let's get the ball rolling by first installing a MySQL server. I would like to mention that what we're going to be covering today should work across Linux distributions, since it's application specific. For a point of reference, today we're going to be using a CentOS 6.5 virtual machine with the latest updates. The only real difference between Ubuntu and CentOS should be the commands used to install the MySQL server. For example, on Ubuntu, to install a MySQL server, you would run apt-get install mysql-server, whereas on CentOS, you would run yum install mysql-server. If you would like to see episodes targeting a specific distribution, please let me know, or maybe we can figure out a way to highlight the differences between them in a single episode. Okay, now that we have the MySQL server installed, let's fire it up by running service mysqld start. You will see there is plenty of output because this is the first time we're running the MySQL server. Let's just scroll up and we can walk through what this means. So MySQL is initializing the MySQL databases and populating tables. These are used for system level things like user access, etc. The server typically eats its own dog food in that it will use the MySQL server to store bits about databases, users, and permissions inside itself. We don't need to worry about these next bits, as init scripts are populated on CentOS and Ubuntu. This next bit is pretty important It talks about setting the database's root password. This can be a bit confusing, as there are really two accounts named root. One for the operating system, this has nothing to do with MySQL, and a MySQL root account in that it has access to everything on the MySQL server. I just wanted to highlight this because it can be a bit confusing. Since this is a root level account for the MySQL server, it's a good idea that we set a strong password. You can do that by running these commands or by using this script to walk through securing your MySQL server. Personally, I prefer the script because it removes anonymous access and cleans up some test databases. The remainder of the output talks about how to start your MySQL server, which on CentOS and Ubuntu, it doesn't really apply, as we'll typically use the init scripts. I'm going to focus on security throughout this episode, as MySQL is typically a juicy target, as it holds lots of information, things like email addresses, usernames, passwords, and most, if not all, user-generated content powering your apps. So this is something that you want to spend some time getting right. Let's go ahead and run the MySQL secure installation script to walk through securing our server. First, we're asked to provide the current MySQL root password. Since this is a fresh install, it hasn't been set, so it's currently blank. Let's just hit enter here and move on to the next step. 
Next, we're asked if we would like to set a root password. Obviously, this is a good idea as it prevents root level access to the MySQL databases. Next, we are prompted to enter a password, then to re-enter it. Next, we're asked if we would like to remove anonymous access. If this is a production MySQL server, there should be no reason to provide anonymous access, so let's disable it. Next, we're asked if we want to restrict MySQL root logins to localhost, so that root cannot log in over the network, say for example to prevent a brute force password attack. Next, we're asked if we want to remove access to test databases which anyone can access. Yes, let's delete it. Finally, we're asked if we want to flush the privileges, making them active right now. Yes, do that. There are a couple other tweaks that I typically make, which I think makes things a little more secure and easier to debug. In most small-scale LAMP stacks, that is Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP, from what I have found, these are typically all located on the same machine. Then as you scale up, you might add more machines or move the database elsewhere. So if you are at a small scale and running everything on the same machine, I like to make the MySQL server only listen on localhost, as opposed to the default listening on any network IP addresses. Let me just show you what I mean by running netstat-nap and we'll grep for port 3306. 3306 is the MySQL server port accepting connections. And as you can see here, this 0000 basically means accept TCP connections on any IP address this machine has for the MySQL server port 3306. We can change this by editing the MySQL server's configuration file. And I'm just going to add this line here saying bind address equals 127.0.0.1. This will make the MySQL server only listen for connections on the local machine, accepting nothing from remote machines. Okay, so that's done, let's save the file. Then we're going to restart MySQLD by running service MySQLD restart. Finally, let's verify this works as expected by running netstat-nap. And as you can see, we're only listening for connections on 127.0.0.1 or localhost. For this next tweak, we're going to enable something called MySQL query log. This basically dumps all SQL statements run by the server into a file, and it can be extremely useful for debugging issues when you're first setting up your server. We're actually going to head back into the MySQL server configuration file here. I did not do this in the last step as I wanted to break this up, and I typically like to make a change, test it worked, and then move on to the next thing. So let's go down to the bind address change we made a minute ago. Actually, let's just add a comment here. Typically I like to make comments. In this case it might be a little redundant, but I think it's good practice. Next, I'm just going to copy a couple lines to enable the query log, and then I'll explain what they do. I should mention that I've added links in the episode notes below for these configuration tweaks, and much of the supporting material that I talk about in the episode. Okay, so this first line enables the query log, and the second line specifies where to put it. In this case, var log query log. Finally, let's save the file. So this is a bit of a personal preference. I like to have all of my logs in var log, so it is kind of a one-stop shop for log files. However, this creates a problem with the change we just made, in that the MySQL server is running as its own user, so it cannot create files in slash var slash log. To fix this, we need to create the destination log and change the user and group ownership over to the MySQL user. These two commands do this. You could get around this by putting the log in a directory owned by MySQL. Finally, we need to restart MySQLD for the changes to take effect. I'm not going to show you the query log just yet, as I want to show you some other bits which will generate some log data, and then we can come back in a couple minutes and review what it looks like.
Okay, so at this point, we have our MySQL server installed, made some security tweaks, and also enabled the query log to help debugging down the road. The question is, now what? Well, I wanted to cover some basic SQL statements, which can be used for exploring a MySQL server that's hosting data. This will hopefully make the MySQL server less of a black box. We are mainly going to focus on a command called MySQL. Let's just review the manual page for it by running man MySQL. As you can see, this is the MySQL command line tool. This will allow us to connect to the MySQL server and issue commands. Let's test it out by running mysql-u, the u stands for the user we want to connect as, in this case root, and dash p to prompt for a password. You can actually enter the password following the dash p option at the command line too, but this will be saved into the bash history and will also show up in the process listing, so I don't recommend it. Instead, if you leave it blank, the mysql command will prompt you for it. Once we're logged in, we're presented with a MySQL prompt, where you can issue SQL statements to query the MySQL server, to see, for example, what databases exist, tables in each database, and what the data looks like in those tables. I'm going to show you how this works at a basic level, but there are plenty of books out there too. For example, I read Teach Yourself SQL in 24 Hours many years ago. I'm generally not a huge fan of these 24-hour books, but this one was actually pretty good. You can also find it on Safari Books Online. I talked about this service in episode 25 under the technical books section. Okay, let's head back to the MySQL prompt and have a look around. I should mention that all of these commands throughout this episode are listed in the episode notes below, so don't worry about trying to remember them or copying them down. First off, you probably want to know what databases exist on the system. To do this, you just type show databases. And to close off a SQL statement, you always use a semicolon. Next, let's say you wanted to look around a database. Well, you can change into it by running use and then the database name. In this case, MySQL. To get a listing of the tables in this database, you can type show tables. What if you wanted to get an idea of what these tables look like? Well, you can type describe and then the table name. Let's choose the host table. As you can see, it outputs the fields and their type. Okay, so basically that's how to see what databases exist on a server, how to tell what tables are in those databases, and what the tables look like. But this will probably make more sense if we create an example database along with a table and populate it with some data. Then you can see what this looks like from the ground up. So let's create a database called episode 38 by running create database episode 38. Now let's see if the database exists by running show databases again. Cool, looks like it's working. So let's change into that database by running use episode 38. Then let's get a table listing by running show tables. Okay, so at this point nothing exists. Well, let's create a blog table, which will hold example blog entries. I'm just going to paste this in here, as it will take a while to type in. So the syntax looks like this. Create, table, blog, then we list the table columns and their type. Now let's run the show tables again, and describe the table too. So far so good. Now let's populate the table with some example content. Again, I'm just going to copy and paste this, but you can find these commands in the episode notes below. Say for example that you wanted to try this on your own. Okay, so we've inserted three records into our example blog table in the episode 38 database. We can pull all the records out of the blog table by running select star from blog, or even count the records in the particular table by running select count star from blog. What about if you wanted to pull a specific record out of the database, based off some type of key? Say for example that we wanted to pull a record out of the blog table, with an ID of 1. Well, we can write something like select star from blog where ID equals 1. 
This is in fact how most blog applications work at a basic level. Note that most authentication systems work in a similar manner. By doing something like this, select star from blog, where email equals justin at example.com. If we run this, we're likely to get some type of error message about a missing email column. So that is the basics of exploring the MySQL server, how to create databases and tables, along with inserting data and pulling records out. I should probably mention that you can easily delete databases too. You simply run drop database and the database name. So let's try this out by deleting our episode 38 database. You'll notice that we're not prompted or anything. So make sure that you know what you're doing, as there's likely no coming back from this unless you restore from backup. Okay, so that wraps up the basics of exploring the MySQL database server. To exit the shell, you just type quit. So remember a while ago, I was saying that you can debug things in the MySQL server via the log files stored in slash var log. Well, let's go have a look at those now that we've had some example queries run against our server. Let's change into the var log directory and have a look. There's actually two log files for the MySQL server. The first is mysqld.log and the one we created earlier, query.log. The mysqld.log file contains messages about the MySQL server. Things like when it was stopped and when it was started are logged here. Next, let's have a peek at the query log. This can be useful in situations where you have an application issue you're trying to troubleshoot. Say for example that you have an application that is trying to connect but seems to fail over and over. What can you do? Well, let's simulate a failure and see what happens. Let's try and connect to the MySQL server by using a wrong password. Let's type mysql-u-root-p and then type some random data as the password. So as you expect, it fails, but let's have a peek at the query log too. As you can probably guess, this type of thing can come in really handy when troubleshooting issues. However, once you have things working as you want, I highly suggest disabling the query log as it is mainly used for debugging and you could be logging tens of thousands of SQL statements in here needlessly. For performance monitoring and improvements, it can also be really handy to log queries based on execution time then you can go back and see how long a query was running. I just wanted to cover a couple more points before we finish. We're going to look at creating database role accounts, setting permissions on those accounts, and finally simple ways to backup and restore databases. It is good practice to create role accounts for each type of application that is going to access a MySQL database. You can do this through the create user SQL syntax. Just like you would not hand out the OS root password to everyone, you should not hand out the root MySQL account to apps, as they can do things on the MySQL database server as root. Say for example that someone uses a SQL injection attack against one of your apps. They could potentially use that access to peer into other databases and steal information. But MySQL allows you to grant permissions to accounts. Say for example that we create a MySQL user account but then only grant user permissions to select or update records in a database. In this case, if someone breaks in, they cannot drop a table or drop an entire database. Let's head back to the command line and look at some examples of what this would look like in practice. We will connect to the MySQL server again by running mysql-u-root-p and then entering the password. So we're going to be adding a new user to the MySQL server, then granting permissions to a specific database. We can get a listing of the current users by running select user from mysql.user group by user. So you can see we have one entry here for the root user. You will notice that we used a new notation here. We are asking for records from the MySQL database and the user table. I just wanted to highlight this as we will do something similar in a moment. 
then you will notice that I'm using the group by option here. This is because a single user can have multiple entries. Since we have a line for each place it will connect from, for example, localhost or some external address. So let's create an example user called wiki. I'm just going to copy and paste this as it can get a little long. So we're creating a user called wiki at localhost and assigning this account a password over here. Next, let's grant permissions to this user. And you will often see tutorials online granting access to a user doing something like this. The first mistake is that we're granting all privileges to this user account. Does the user really need these permissions? For example, in episode 21, we looked at using an SQL injection attack to abuse the MySQL permissions to read and write files to the OS, specifically the system password file. For this reason, I think granting all permissions is a mistake. The second mistake is that we're granting all permissions to all databases and all tables. This is what this star.star .star means. Just like up here where we pulled records out of the MySQL database and the user table, we are essentially granting this wiki user access to everything. And I think this is a bad idea. So here's what I suggest, using something like this. Granting specific permissions, things like select, insert, update, and then limiting those permissions to a specific database, for example, the wiki database. This is much more sane and will prevent an entire range of things from biting you. Now let's rerun our command to find users in the database. And you can see we have our wiki user now. Finally, let's flush these changes to make them active. Alright, that is user access in a nutshell. To finish off this episode, let's review how to quickly backup and restore databases. You can use the MySQL dump command for this. A typical use case would be to create a one-off backup before an upgrade, or have cron triggering a MySQL dump on a recurring basis, typically daily. This allows you to go back to a point in time if needed. So let's look at how this would work. First, let's look at the MySQL man page. You can find pretty much anything in here. For example, let's scroll all the way down to the bottom of the man page and look at the example section. So here you have an example of backing up a database using MySQL dump, the database name, and then piping the output to a backup file. Then to restore, you use the MySQL command line tool we used earlier, piping the backup file in. There are all types of options here, so you need to find what fits your needs. So behind the scenes, I've recreated the episode 38 database we deleted earlier, and we'll use this as an example database. Let's try and back up our episode 38 database by running mysql dump u root p, then we can specify the database, in this instance, episode 38. Finally, let's pipe the output to a file. Let's call it episode 38, and then add a dynamic date to the end. Next, we're prompted to enter a password. This poses a problem for automation, but we'll fix this in a minute. Okay, looks like the file was created. Let's have a quick look. Cool, so we can see our blog table here. Then down here we see our table records. So let's attempt a restore. Let's connect to the MySQL server and drop the episode 38 database. And now it's deleted. We have a bit of a problem though, in that the database dump file does not contain the needed create database lines. These are typically not part of the dump. I'm not really sure why, because you get them when you dump all databases, but not a single one. Let's have a closer look at what I mean. So you can see in this block, there is nothing saying to create the episode 38 database, and to use it for restore. Let's attempt to restore to see what the error looks like. We can use the MySQL command from earlier in this episode, and then we'll pipe in our database dump file, like so. 
Here you can see the error message saying no database was selected. I wanted to highlight this as you'll likely run into something similar. The fix is to edit the dump file like so, and then add these two lines, which you should probably understand by now. We are going to create a database called episode 38, and then use that database. And that's it. Problem solved. Now we can rerun our restore command, which pipes in the database dump file, and you will notice that we didn't get an error this time. We can verify that it worked by connecting to MySQL and show the databases. Then we can show the tables for the episode 38 database, and finally, maybe select some rows from that table. Backups and restores are actually pretty easy with MySQL. The major limiting factor is the database size, but if you're running a simple WordPress, Drupal, or Rails app, you'll typically have no issues. There are other backup options too, for example, the Extra Backup tool, which offers advanced backup features like non-blocking backups. This can be really useful if you have a large database. You can find the link in the episode notes below. Finally, to finish off this episode, let's save our credentials to a file so that we're not prompted each time we want to do a database backup, which is a must for automated backups with cron. You can do this by creating a MySQL user-specific configuration file in the user's home directory. This would be in the user's home directory who is executing the MySQL dump command. The format is actually pretty easy. Type MySQL dump in the first line, user equals, and the user account, in this case root, but you'll likely use a role account. And finally, the password equals the password for that user. You should also change the ownership of the file to 600 so that only you have access. Now, instead of using the old syntax, being prompted for the password like this, you simply use the same command but remove the user and password options. The MySQL dump command knows to check for this configuration file and pulls your credentials from it. We can verify this again by deleting the backup file and rerunning the backup script. Well, that basically wraps up this episode. Hopefully you were able to learn something new here. If you want to continue on learning about MySQL, I highly suggest checking out the MySQL performance blog. You can find links to it in the episode notes below. The high-performance MySQL book is also really good, and you can find it on Safari Books Online too. I should also mention that we did most of this on the command line to show you how things work under the hood. But there is a really cool web interface for MySQL called phpMyAdmin, and you can do pretty much everything we did here today and more. Link is in the episode notes below. Alright, that concludes this episode. Thanks for watching. If you would like to get notified about future episodes, please subscribe to my mailing list. You can do this by going to the Get Notified link in the header and entering your email address. Have questions, comments, or concerns about this episode? What about episode ideas? I'd love to hear your feedback, either good or bad. Shoot me an email, justin at sysadmincasts.com.